Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good weekend. Thankful for the rain. Amen. We'd like to welcome everybody that's watching by Facebook or TV or whatever device. Thank you for being a part of this if you're in person. Thank you guys too. Go ahead and turn around and look at your neighbor and wave at them. Say, I'm glad to see you today. Amen. Would you guys stand with me? It'd certainly be appropriate at home if you guys wanted to stand as well as we read the word. It'll be a short scripture here. It is the same one that we've been uh, embarking to uh, talk about the last two weeks. I appreciate Pastor giving me the opportunity to speak on resist number three. Amen. Some of you guys have been resisting the last couple weeks. Yeah, me too. I've been highly motivated. Let's start in James 4, 6 through 7. But he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but give grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen. Sounds like a promise to me. How about y'all? Amen. Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you for the promises in your word, God. Thank you that we can do what it says, and we know that it will change our life, impact our community, and save souls. So God, as we bow our hearts today, let it pierce us and change us. And everybody says... Amen. Hey, wave at your neighbor as you go down. If they feel comfortable, you might give them a high five. Yeah. I'm in Walmart seeing folk, and I don't know if to do the knee bump or the chicken wing. or Sometimes you just, you know, it's like you're shadow boxing, right? It's, it's really funny. A couple weeks ago, I guess it was last Saturday, I had the opportunity to go do a wedding for a close friend. I coached football with him in Bray, and he called me up and said, I want you to lead the, um, officiate the wedding. I said, that's great. We went up to Edmond to a facility, and it was uh, unique in the fact that we did the rehearsal Saturday morning. So you guys, most of you guys know it's about a two-hour drive up there and two-hour drive back. We did the rehearsal at 9 a.m., 9.30 in the morning, and then the wedding wasn't till 6 p.m. Oh, man, brutal, right? So let me, let me see that, not the wedding. Weddings are wonderful, okay? They can't, marriages can be brutal. No, I'm, I'm I kid, I kid, I kid. Everybody's like, yeah, you're kind of you're true. <laughs> so I have to stay up there till like 6 or 7, you know, and wait for the wedding. And, you know, I find a room by myself and I prepare and do different things like this. But I do make my way to the groom's room. And in there I hear the soon-to-be groom, the soon-to-be husband, the current groom, talking about all the things, you know, that grooms talk about. How maybe I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. You know, he has all these preconceived notions of what it's going to be like whenever he stands face to face to his bride-to-be. And I'm just chuckling inside, you know, because he's up there with all of his buddies, so you know he got to kind of sound like he knows what's going on, right? Yeah, well, I'm not going to do this, or it'll be okay, and blah, blah, blah. And then we get up to the wedding, and he stands before his bride, and knees are knocking, you know, we're fighting back tears. It's a great moment for me, you know, because I'm chuckling. Then in the middle of their ceremony, uh, great point. So they chose to braid strands together instead of pouring of sand or lighting of the candles. We talked to them, and they said, well, we didn't practice. And I said, well, you probably want a song <laughs> uh, during that because it's never as easy as you think. You know what I mean? Sure enough, they go over, and they begin to braid the cords, and they play the song. Well, it's not working out like it's supposed to. So there's a chord representing him and his wife, his soon-to-be wife there in about another five minutes, right? And then God in the middle. And they needed God in the middle, right? And I was just thinking, yeah, we resist, right? We, we think we have our resisting in order. We know what to resist and we know what we're going to do. But really, whenever we get up there, 
It doesn't always happen that way, right? And they came back and stood in front of me. I said, hey, you had your first encounter. Welcome. I said, Son, I said Tyler, remember the bride stands on the right because she is right. I said, that's a good thing to know, bro. So they braid the cords and they do that and we get them married and it's a great time. But I think about him as he sits in front of his new bride and he looks at her and all the things that he thought were going to happen changed, right? That's really how it is with our walk with Jesus Christ. There's some things that I wanted to resist in my life and then I got face to face with Jesus Christ and all those seemed to float away. And the things that I resisted, I, I gave myself to in Christ. And as we read this scripture, we see that. We see that I'm never stronger than when I'm at my weakest point before Christ, right? I'm never taller except for when I'm submitted on my knees before Jesus Christ asking him for help. Anybody else? And true resistance starts at true submission. And I was thinking as they were tying the braid together, just submit to one another. you got to work it out together. That's true, true resistance. The last couple of weeks we've been on this, and it's really been a pleasure for me. I've learned a lot. Pastor, the first week, talked about resist. Uh, true resisting starts with true submitting. Uh, resisting is denying access and resisting, uh, and resisting the urge to give up or give in, which is crucial in our society. Week number two, we, res- we uh, understood the schemes that we need to resist. The enemy always wants to attack our identity, and we talked about Jesus in the wilderness. He talked about how we're new creatures, so we have an identity that's rooted and founded in Jesus Christ. As I was putting some study to that this last week, I took out the notes last night, and I was just rolling through them in my head, and I, I, as I took some study, study, I was thinking about Deuteronomy 6 and 5. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. It's also found in Matthew 27, that same scripture. And I thought to myself, I've never been more found than when I'm completely lost in Jesus Christ. Amen. Whenever he has my heart, my soul, and my mind, and my strength, he has it all. And I feel completely lost, yet I'm as found as will ever be. Amen. We don't have to struggle with our identities. And we talked more about schemes convincing us that fleshly needs are greater than spiritual needs. And destructive impulses and thoughts perverting of God's word offers temporary uh, fixes for inferior sinners. Um, encouraged and, and then pastor goes on and he, it was very interesting to me because he went ahead and said, hey, these are three things that you want to do. How many of you guys know it's good to go into a fight and be excited or be built up, right? Be encouraged. Let's charge the mountain. But let's not do it without weapons, right? If I'm really, you know, okay, let's go fight for the values. Let's go fight for what we need to fight for. And then I'm running into an enemy with weapons that I don't have any. I mean, David had a slingshot, you know what I mean? Okay? Pastor gave us those weapons. Whenever that doubt comes upon us, God, which way am I going? What am I doing? Am I truly who you say I am? Fight that with truth. Amen? We go back to God's worth for the ultimate truth, and ultimately if we live this thing out and we be salt and light. And I was just really encouraged by that. Today, I want to talk to you about three simple things. What we're going to comprise our message on this morning is really about choosing not to compromise the word of God. We live in a society today that has some funky doctrines. Okay? Now, I know that we've had these throughout. It's just a different generation, different battle, okay? But we've constantly had that. But we live in such a time that we see many of these things begin to float to the surface. And we have to have a view in our hearts that we will not compromise the direction of Jesus Christ. Amen? So what we're going to set the foundation for first is understanding that when I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm in a relationship with the Word of God. 
You, you cannot separate the two. My first point is simply this. Why do we resist? Because that's what you do in battle. Amen? Yeah, not, we, we know this. The, when we go into battle, I'm there to resist you from taking my family, taking my kids, taking the kids in the community, taking our schools. We are here to resist. I will turn my face from the computer. I will turn my face from the TV, and I will plant my face on the ground and call out to my God because I will resist. Amen? I will resist because that's what we do in battle. And believe it or not, you're elite warriors. Did you know that? Yeah, some of us don't look like it, but we are because we have the Holy Spirit. Amen? That doesn't mean we're better than anybody, okay? We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have Jesus Christ inside of us. We have the word of truth in front of us. So we have the tools to be elite. Amen? Yeah, amen. That makes me excited, all right? Now, so let's start out at Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, we can move on to Acts, and we see Acts 17 and 28. We see that it confirms that we live in a world where we draw our being and our movement from our Savior. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for indeed we are his offspring. There is no separation. If I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in the word of God because he is the word of God. And my relationship with him directly reflects that. Amen. So then I began to go on, what does it take to be a being? Is Jesus really everything I need? Is the word of God really everything we need? Because if I'm supposed to resist in battle as he has commanded me to, then I have to make sure that I'm resisting, A, for the right purpose, right? And for the right person, for the right God. We, there's a bunch of little G's and there's only one big God, amen? Well, what do I need to live? I need food. Anybody like food? Yeah, your stomachs are grumbling right now, Right? I hear you, I hear you. We're going to speed through this, okay? Food, John 6 and 4. I am the bread from heaven. Who said that? Jesus did, amen. Water, Jeremiah begins to write. We need water in our life. Jeremiah 7 and 13. The, the great prophet said, the fountain of living water. He was referring back to God. We also need shelter. Psalm 61 and 3. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. You are my shelter. You are what I run into. Amen. I, I want to have my being and live inside of you. Not just when things get tough. Oh, I will find maybe being coming closer to you. But that's me pulling away my flesh. Amen. Because you've always been there is what we say. But I go to that shelter. Then ultimately we need breath. And we know that all scripture is inspired. But I love how Job 33 and 4, and four, how he puts it down to paper. He said, the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So we must come to the table whenever we begin to study the Word and compare it to our relationship with Jesus Christ that they are two in one. That we are not willing to compromise my life as it reflects Jesus Christ and then as I dig into the truth of the Word and it grips my heart. And I have to make that hard decision sometimes, right? How many of you guys have ever read the Bible or prayed? And it's not the answer that you've wanted. And we're posed all with the same question. What do we do now? What do we do now? We've been confronted with the truth. What do we do now? 
And I began to understand Psalms 164.2 where it says, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Paul begins to write in Galatians 20 and, uh, 2 and 20. It makes so much sense. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When I read his word, he directs my life, and it is a very real relationship with him, amen? So as I head into battle and I choose to resist, I know that I'm resisting for the word of God. I'm resisting for the life of God, amen? Psalms 56 and 9, this I know that God is for me. Why is that so important? Because I don't always feel like running towards the enemy. I don't always feel, I don't always see, God, as you reveal your truth, why I'm supposed to do what you've called me to do. But your Holy Spirit has illuminated in my life what I need to do. But if I can, if I can understand that, this is something I pound into my high school. Understand that God is a good God. Because whenever we, the goodness and mercy song that we sang today, whenever we'll really understand that, right? And you guys, I know that I'm looking at a bunch of faces that really grasp that concept. Then when we get down on our knees and we pray and we seek his face, we know that this is a good God that's talking to me. The stuff he's asking me to clean up, the stuff that he's confronting me with, the things that he's asking me to do is the source from a loving, loving God. I have my being, and it's whom I move in. Amen. I go on to think about Luke 9, 23, and it says to him, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then that's a very familiar statement. And I, I, I remember so many times looking at that and thinking of all the battles that I face. And God, I've got to do things that I don't want to do. But I believe it's also a twofold thing. Not only do I walk in things that I don't want to do daily that I may not understand, but it's also God revealing to me things about myself that I have to change. Because we understand that this is a faith, faith walk. We understand that this is a journey that we didn't do it right. That's the reason why we needed Jesus Christ, amen? And we may have those compromises in our life, and as God brings us to the word, he prepares us for that, and he says, listen, this is a daily journey. It's in a daily event. I'm gonna tell you to go. You're gonna rely on me. I'm gonna open up doors, but at the same time, be ready, because I'm gonna confront you with some stuff. And we have to make up our mind that we will not compromise. I will not compromise in my relationship with Jesus Christ, and I will not compromise in the word of truth that I hear through the Bible, which is one in the same, amen? Because as I charge down the hill, as I charge up the hill, as I go after what God's told me I could go, I'm gonna choose to resist because that's what we do in battle. And I promise you, what God is saying, take, what God is saying is ours, it won't come free. LaDamian Thomas's mama said, it ain't cheap, and it don't come free, son. And I believe it, he was a great running back for the Chargers. Now, I was thinking back as I was thinking about Peter, what a great example of this. You know, Peter has a kind of a bad rap, and we know that, right? He's kind of got a big mouth, right? But thank God he had a big mouth, because look how much stuff we've got to learn from him, right? We can flip through the New Testament, learn all kinds of stuff, and I, I don't want to do that, that, or that, right? 
So as you flip through his life, it's a real deal. As you flip through his life, he's called. He's in a business of fishing. He's, he's kind of a trio in there. And God calls him and says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And then he goes. His mother-in-law, um, he sees his mother-in-law become healed. And then that day, Jesus, that same evening, Jesus heals uh, everybody in the town because they bring him to Christ. And then in Matthew 16, we see that here he's seen all that stuff. He's had many journeys with Christ. And then in Matthew 16, he begins to tell Jesus that you are the son of God. He looks at him and he says, listen, I've seen this stuff. And Christ asks the question. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you, thou art the son of God. But then in the very next scene, almost in the same breath, verse 22 of chapter 16, Jesus has to rebuke him and say, get behind me, Satan. Think about this. Think about this. He is doing his best to resist. He's doing what God has told him to do, to take back. He went out with the 12. He's done all these different things. And if you look at a chart of Peter's life, it would be like, okay, Peter, you've done good. Ooh, you can confront a cross. That was really bad. All right, we got back up here. You did good. Oh, no, Mount Transfiguration, bad idea. Bad, I don't interrupt God when he's talking. That's a no-no, right? And then you go back up. But you see this resilience in Peter that we want to have in our life, amen? We see this thing that's just hard to put our hands on, but we know that we want it in our life because he resisted. He resisted. And then we see him go on, even though he gets rebuked by God, he still kind of learns more. He's up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Scripture clearly says that Moses and Elijah appeared to them, but talked to him, capital H, as in Jesus. Yet Peter opens his big mouth and gets himself in trouble again. Then we go on to Acts chapter 10, which is where I'll land the story of Peter. And as we see that his life is a chart, it's very interesting in Acts chapter 10. He's delivered one of the greatest sermons ever delivered, and we know that by salvations, right? We know that by the growth of the church. And he's praying up on his roof, he's, and he go, he's, he's getting hungry, and he's praying, and God, he falls into a trance or into a vision, and he sees a, a certain kind of food that would be against what he had been taught because he was a Jewish boy. And God said, rise, kill, and eat. Peter says, wait, wait a second, God. He said, no. He said, I want you to do what I'm telling you to do. And really, this vision doesn't have as much to do with about food as it does the person that's about to knock on his door. At the end of the vision, God tells him in verse 20, he says, rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Then we read in the rest of the scripture that Peter goes down, he arises, he greets them at the door, and he says, I'm Peter, how can I help you? And these men come to the door. Now, this becomes very interesting in Peter's life. You guys remember in the garden when he cuts off Malchus's ear, right? Okay? So he was known to have these impulses, right? The, the, he, he, the Cornelius is a centurion that has sent his service servants to knock on Peter's door, and this is not a good thing because the Jewish people did not like the Roman soldiers. They taxed them, they were brutal, they took over their town, they did not like them. So Peter is now in, 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 a, in a situation where he's heard the word of the Lord. Do I compromise and do what I think I feel like I'm, I need to do? And we can kind of get a glimpse of his behavior from the garden. 
there was a Roman sect of Jews called the Securia. And what they were known for is to, anytime they would see a Roman soldier by themselves, they would tackle them or get them in a dark alley, and then they would stab them or kill them, and they would slip into the crowd, uh, uh, just slip into the crowd like one of the people. And if you go back, and I'm not saying that Peter was secure, but if you go back and look at what he did, Peter went to the garden that day packing heat. It said he drew his sword or he drew his dagger. He didn't find it in a bush, right? And he wasn't a very good shot because he cut a dude's ear off. It wasn't like he, you know, you could tell he didn't really know what he's doing. But that's exactly the way those zealots would do. They'd hide that dagger in their cloak. And at the opportune time, they would take it out. And you see that type of behavior in Peter. You see that type of disgust, if you will. And here, he's at the house. And, and, and let me read verse 22. I think you can see the concern in the servants. Because the very first thing that they do, Peter answers the door and says, this is me. They said, listen, we're from Cornelius. He's a centurion. But listen, listen. He's upright. He's a God-fearing man. He's well-spoken of in the Jewish nation. We were directed by a holy angel to come visit, visit you and see what you had to say. Did you catch that? They didn't just knock on the door and say, hey, an angel come woke us up and blah. No. Okay, we, we are from a centurion. Obviously, I know you probably don't like those guys. However, we want you to know that this particular centurion is God-fearing. He's respected in the Jewish community. And now Peter is posed with a question, does he compromise or does he not? And I think his track record is what led him without thinking just to continue to make the decision. Because think about this, or, or this is what I, Peter, as he's talking to these guys, he doesn't just say, I will go with you, but he says, come into my house and be my guest. We have to resist in battle to compromise the word of God. Regardless of what our traditions are, regardless of what we've been taught, regardless of our ethnicities, regardless of how we've grown up, if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, if we know the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, then it has to be of utmost importance that we do not compromise the Word. And of course, we know Peter's life story very interesting as you read it we know that he was crucified upside down and seemingly the very cross that he was trying to keep Christ from is the cross that he welcomed himself to and said matter of fact crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy in the same manner why because we see that constant resistance in the life that he had he was in a battle and he knew it and although he was imperfect we continue to see that gain, and we will see it in our life. But we've got to continue to set our minds and say we're not going to compromise. Amen? Why do we want to resist compromising the word? Number two is as, as our Christian faith grows, so does our knowledge and understanding of Christ. Now, this is really important because as our knowledge and understanding of Christ grows, as we push from the, from the shore in our boats out to the deep, as we get away from the distractions, the crowd, the show seekers, and we get to that point where God, we're trying to understand you. What are you saying? I don't want to miss you. Then we find out that really the only capacity that we have to deal with is our own. God's love and grace and mercy is endless. 
but we have to stretch ourselves. But as we stretch ourselves, as we grow, what we find is that we find positions of influence. We find positions where we can show people and teach them the actual truth in the Word of God. Amen? And as we grow in that knowledge, then we have to be willing to bring every thought into captivity. 2 Corinthians 10, 15, we know this. We know that as we walk at that higher level, we have to be willing to say, God, whatever you ask of me, I'm going to do. One of the scary things that I hear in our culture today is I just didn't get really serious about my Christianity. How ridiculous would it be if I went up to Pastor Mike and said, I want you to hire me, but I probably won't be serious about it until about three or four months into it. What do you think? Yet in our church culture today, come try God out, come do this. But that's not how it works. Now we know that the Holy Spirit draws the unsaved. John 6 and 44, no one can come unto me unless the Father draws him, right? Revelations 3 and 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in with them. So we know that's the constant pull. We also know that from Ezekiel 36 and 26, which is key, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone, your flesh, and give you a heart. But that doesn't come until the drawing. And then I respond to that drawing, and then I become committed, and then I grow. Amen? But if we're not careful, we're fed a theology that's not a theology. <laughs> And we have to be aware and we have to go back to the word and say, God, I don't want to compromise this. I'm not a Christian if I just come into a church and sit down and feel really good. Oh, I believe that church is supposed to make us feel good. We're supposed to know that we are more than conquerors, amen, that we are warriors, that God can do things through us, absolutely. But just being in a place doesn't make us a Christian, Committed, when we, when we commit ourselves and we submit ourselves to God, then we know that's when he gives us a new heart and a new spirit. Once again, I've never been more found than when I'm absolutely lost in Christ. And then we know the hope of eternal life, John 3 and 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then when we get to that point, then we begin to have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with the issues that we see? What are we going to be, do with dating? As we, we understand the biblical views on these in issues, and I know that my knowledge and my understanding has, has expanded, now I have questions as I read the Word and it teaches me about dating and honesty, integrity, marriage, family structure, unborn life. Will I be willing to compromise based off of feelings, based off of what I suppose? It is a question that we all have to answer because sometimes our feelings, right, can sort of kind of get in the way. And I'm looking at somebody, and this is my dilemma, I'm looking at somebody not being judgmental, but they do not have a life that is, they have a life rather that is contrary to Scripture. And I'm saying, God, but they're such a nice person. What do I do with that? 
And we have to go back to the word. And I cannot be willing to compromise that Jesus Christ and the living God is the only way. And we will have fruits in our life as we truly submit to him. We will have different biblical views on dating and honesty, marriage, family structure. But yet again, in our culture, we are opposed. What will we do? How will we change it? The third thing that I want to talk about, why we resist, is because of the people around us, the individuals around us. Now, I understand that we resist because the Scripture tells us to resist. But there's so much more at play. I think about Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, 15, 17, he's beginning, a letter comes to him from a father in the faith from Paul. And it says, do your best. So he's writing this to Timothy. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid inadvertent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene or like an infectious disease. As we refuse to resist, as we grow in our knowledge, as we grow in our understanding, the people around us become absolutely critical. Why would Paul choose to write this to Timothy? Because Timothy's resisting the culture that he lives in. Matter of fact, he's leading a church, he's gaining influence. He has people around him, and Paul writes that to him. He goes, listen, let me break it down. He goes, listen, Timothy, I want you to study really, really hard. Understand that this truth that we dig out, that we, word, that, that we dig out of the word that we share with congregations is of the utmost importance that we do it to the very best of our ability. And Timothy, work hard. Work harder. It's that old scenario. You know, if somebody invites you to go dig with them and they hand you a shovel, have every, every intention to outdig them. You know what I mean? Don't leave any doubt. And then, Timothy, when it comes to love and truth, you've got to rightly divide that. You've got to give truth, but you don't have to do it in a rude, crude, nasty way that pushes people away, right? You can do it in a loving way. Many times it'll still be rejected, but you can do it. And then he goes on to talk about how he said, listen, don't just have conversations with whoever you want at any given time. He said you have to guard yourself. You have to guard yourself with your speech. And then I find the very next part very, very interesting when it says, and they will lead. Then they will lead. And he was talking about there. And let me read verse 16 there. It says, but avoid inherent babble for it will lead people. So now all of a sudden, Timothy is in a position to lead people to destruction. But, but wait a second. He's saved. He loves Jesus. He believes in it. He's preaching. Absolutely. But if we have a compromised view on the work of Christ, we have a compromised view on the word of God, then we can lead people down the wrong path. As a matter of fact, it's so infectious, it spreads like gangrene. Gangrene's an interesting topic. Don't Google it, because you're gonna see some pictures that are super gross, okay? I'm just gonna forewarn you on that. Gangrene during the Civil War killed more people, killed more of the troops than, than cannons, uh, bullets, swords, anything like that. Matter of fact, during World War I, there was 15, over 15,000 feet of trenches in Europe. And they came across, uh, because of that, they, they, they were introduced to what we now know as trench foot. And then trench foot would set in, which is a gross, infectious thing in your foot. And then it would set in and it would turn into gangrene. And they found the way to solve it was simply 
extreme hygiene. Extreme consciousness of how they treated that sick person. And I think back to what Paul is telling Timothy, and he's saying, listen, you want to have an extreme desire to be uncompromised in the word of God. You want to have an extreme desire to be uncompromised as you walk with Jesus Christ. Because when we don't, it can easily spread and infect other people. And now there's a lot of other people that are hurt. We have to keep it, amen? In 1 Corinthians 9.29, it, it goes back to what Paul was saying. Since he holds such a high degree of not compromising, and we've said it a million times, you know we understand Paul's like that Marine hitting the beach. And if you guys have ever watched an episode uh, on the History Channel, have ever watched maybe a movie that reenacts Guadalcanal, the attack on the Pacific Theater. Um, one of the great speeches is on there by a great colonel where he says that we will win the war by the chevrons on our sleeve, the instinct in our gut, and the blood on our boots. And I love it, and I think about it as warriors that people have to charge. That's exactly how we'll win the war, right? We'll win by the anointing of God that's on our life, the Holy Spirit that provides that instinct, and our boots on the ground when we go out and we take the community, amen? But if you've ever watched that landing, you understand what a Marine hitting a beach really is like. And Paul writes this. He says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. At least after preaching to, my, to others, I myself should be disqualified. Because gangrene is not just a one-person deal, right? It's not a respecter of people. It will go to anybody. A young preacher's riding with an older preacher in the car. They're headed up to a plane flight. The old preacher looks out and he sees this beautiful uh, field uh, planted with winter wheat and it's growing. He goes, young man, do you see that? Do you see how the, the farmer takes care of that? Do you see how the farmer uh, 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 plows it and cuts it and waters it? And the young preacher goes, yeah, I see that. He says, but young man, do you see the bar ditch next to it that's full of just grass and trash? He goes, yeah, I see that. He says, young man, if the farmer didn't take care of that field, soon enough that bar ditch would then take over that field. And that's what we hear from Paul here. If I don't take care of my business, the bar ditch, so to speak, is going to take me over. And this was Paul that was obviously qualified, right? So we go back to the word. We go back to that standard of holiness in our lives. It's saying we're not going to compromise. It's the plumb line, the devotions. We're asking for God, amen? What do we do? We resist, we resist, we resist, amen? In Romans 8, Chapter in Romans chapter 8, verses 1, and then 5 through 8. I won't spend a ton of time on there, but we see what I like to call fool's gold. There's a wonderful uh, 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 pirateer back in the 1500s. He found an island where he found all this fool's gold, but he didn't realize it was fool's gold. So what he does is he goes back and enlists the queen at that time, and they give him several, several um, thousands and millions of dollars for that. Matter of fact, I think he carried back 1,400 tons by ship. And then he gets back, and really all he has is gravel. Here's all this money and all this time. Matter of fact, it's really the first uh, excavation mine opened in Canada. And he goes back, and all he finds is fool's gold. 
And I think that's what Paul here is saying in Romans. If we look at verse 1, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That means if I am feeling condemnation in my spirit, then I have to ask myself if I'm walking with Christ. Amen? Am I doing it? Because if I'm walking with Christ, if I'm leaning in on his spirit, then I feel conviction rather than condemnation. But they're kind of sneaky, right? Conviction and condemnation shows you there needs to be a change. One just doesn't want you to change, and conviction shows us how to change, amen? The convincing of the Holy Spirit. Verse five, it says, for those who live according to the flesh will set their minds on the things of the flesh. Six, for, uh, for to set your mind on the flesh is death. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, verse 7. You see how it gets worse and worse whenever we compromise. But Paul gives us an easy fix. He gives us the real gold. In verse 5, he reminds us, those who make a constant life of living in the Spirit, putting themselves towards the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that means we resist the flesh. Then verse 6, but to set your mind on the spirit, we have what? Life and peace. Helen Limmel wrote the wonderful hymn, Turn Your Eyes to Jesus. She ran across the track, and the track said this, so then turn your eyes to him, look full into his face, and you will find that the things of the earth will require a strange new dimness. As she began to process that, she coined the words to the song, Turn Your Eyes to Jesus. Here's just a couple of words. Oh, so are you wearied in trouble, the light in the darkness you see. There's light, for a, there's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of the earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And whenever we look at that position and we're like, do we compromise or do we not? We have to look towards Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.